From bloated and tired to free and inspired, welcome to Free and Inspired Radio with Philip Watkins, your weekly dose of everything digestion and mental health related. We hope you enjoy this episode. Here is your host, Philip Watkins. Yes, yes. Hi there. Welcome to another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. I'm your host, a naturopathic practitioner, Philip Watkins, and I'm grateful to have you with us today. If you're new to the show, well, the title says it all. It's all about feeling free and inspired and exploring the many different avenues you can take to get there, whether it's deep dives on digestion and mental health solutions or guests who offer their own stories and answers. I hope I can be the type of guide you can rely on to unlock the agency you have to reach your own mental and physical competency. Let's get started with what's coming up on today's episode. Coming up on this week's show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Episode 57 of Free and Inspired Radio. It's great to be back with you again for another exploration into the brain and the gut. Thank you for joining us. Now in this episode, we're going to get to know your and ours, our sleep stages, and how they relate to unrefreshed waking, poor cognition during the day, and why you might find it difficult to lose weight, would you believe? We're going to connect all of those things together with your sleep stages in this episode. Now, sleep is important. We're we're good now. I think we can all agree, right, sleep is important. We spend a third of our lives doing it, in fact. Now, I don't, as I said, don't think you need me to go any further with the whole sleep is important bit. But the last few years seems to have, seem to have been characterized by every online expert offering everyday reminders to us. My particular favorite quote around a gentle reminder of how important sleep is, is from the star himself, Professor Andrew Huberman. Um, and he says that if you want to know about someone's health, then ask them how they sleep. Now, it doesn't end there. We can now track our sleep and get daily feedback on how we're doing. And I must say, I am I have been addicted for three years now to my Aura Ring, even though they don't sponsor me. I am super addicted to getting up in the morning and <laughs> checking how I've performed uh, on all of these different levels, and the especially when it comes to these sleep cycles, right? Now, this level of insight is, of course, excellent. And as I said, I use it a lot. However... How much do we actually know about the different sleep cycles and why they're essential? And getting to know our sleep cycles better is how we're going, what we're going to tackle in this episode. Now, let's start looking at some of the things that help you get to sleep in the first place, and that might inform the sleep cycles a little bit. So various parts of the brain play a role in helping you to get to sleep and stay asleep. For example, the hypothalamus controls sleep onset, the hippocampus and the amygdala are active during dreaming and the reticular formation regulates the transition between sleep and being awake. Now neurotransmitters such as GABA are chemicals that help to promote sleep. Now GABA works with the brain to inhibit the wakefulness chemicals that keep you up and going during the day and you might have heard of some of them. For example, serotonin and dopamine are both excitatory neurotransmitters that help you get the best out of your day, but they don't help you much when you're trying to go to sleep. 
here comes Gabba. And there's a great time for Gabba to come in. And I've often said, and I've probably said in other episodes, you might have heard me say Gabba is the shepherd of all the excited children when it's time to go to bed. And it's pivotal to sleep. And the it's so pivotal to sleep that three of the most typically used drugs on the market for sleep are based on amplifying GABA's effect on sleep promotion. More recently, using GABA as a supplement has helped my patients and numerous people improve their sleep quality as well. Another important chemical involved in sleep is called adenosine, and that's lesser known but equally important. Adenosine also inhibits the excitatory neurotransmitters in the brain. Whilst it's not as well known, its interaction with sleep and the brain affect people globally every day. And you might ask how. Now, caffeine blocks adenosine in the brain, which partially induces the stimulant effect that we love. Unfortunately, doing so can make it difficult to sleep at night, especially when we have coffee or caffeine late at night. Now, adenosine builds up over the day and helps promote sleep and GABA. It suggests that the better the buildup of adenosine over the day, the better chance of good sleep quality. This buildup of adenosine is an excellent example of how the day affects the night when it comes to sleep. And you, if you've heard any of my podcast episodes about sleep, you, I guarantee I've mentioned that the day before the night is so important. Now, this also goes to show that before sleep has even started, your choices influence the quality of it. Now, another example is the time you go to sleep. A systematic review which brought together 41 studies totaling over 90,000 participants assessed the importance of sleep timing and variability. So just to define those two, sleep timing refers to when you go to bed and variability covers something called social jet lag. Now, social jet lag is relatively new to the scene, first described in 2006, and social jet lag is the discrepancy between the biological time, or the time our body thinks it is, and the social time generated by social obligations such as work or school. So, for example, if you're a night owl, but you still have to go to work for 9, or or school for that matter, at 9 a.m., then the uh, social time, so to speak, can be a little unforgiving, can't it? Another term for social jet lag is circadian misalignment. And I think circadian misalignment better describes the theme of this review that we're looking at. So let's get back to that. The review found two conclusions. So remember, this is over 90,000 people. The first conclusion was that later sleep times and significant variability in sleep differing durations each night, for example, were associated with negative health outcomes. The second conclusion of the review also found in contrast that regular sleep timing or going to bed at the same time every night was associated with better health outcomes. All of this before you even go to sleep. Now, I wanted this episode to focus on the different sleep cycles. However, I feel uh, it's just as important to kind of get into what happens before you fall asleep. And that is so important because as we're going to find out in the next part of the show, waking uh, is actually one of the sleep stages. So we've just touched on stage one of the sleep cycles. And it's very important to touch on circadian rhythms as well because these same rhythms control the release of different molecules and hormones that affect your sleep cycles. And that's exactly where we're going to kick off after the break here on Free and Inspired Radio. I hope you're enjoying it so far. We'll be back with more very shortly. 
time to take a break. Are you enjoying this episode of Free and Inspired Radio? There's no better time to take back your personal health sovereignty. If you want to connect with more free and inspired episodes, simply subscribe to your favorite podcast platform or visit the website at www.philipwatkins.health for more information. Let's get back to the show. Yes, yes, yes. Welcome back to episode 57 of Free and Inspired Radio. In this episode, we're looking deeper into your different sleep stages and why they're important. Now, we've covered some of the key things that move you out of the first stage, which is wakefulness and into sleep. Now, let's move into the stages that occur whilst you're asleep. So, once you are asleep, your sleep stage is split into two main categories. The first is non-rapid eye movement or non-REM sleep. And believe it or not, there are actually three stages of non-REM sleep and each one is a progressively deeper step. So the the way I tend to explain this to people is actually via the film Inception. If you haven't heard of it or have seen it, there's a big theme there that each time they go into a new dream, it's deeper and more profound and more intense. And that's kind of the way it works here. So... These three stages are appropriately named N1, N2, and N3 for non-REM1, non-REM2, and non-REM3 if you wanted someone to get to work that out for you. But these stages occur the most in the first part of the night. Now, about 70% of our night's sleep is in non-REM stages with the most of the time spent in N2. The N1 stage of non-REM sleep is the lightest sleep and we spend the shortest time here during a cycle. N2 sleep sees your heart rate and body temperature drop, and is the stage of sleep where we see memory consolidation. Specifically, declarative memory, memory consolidation occurs in N2, and this type of memory helps you recall facts or events, so pretty important. Interestingly, the research found that um, that students who study for extended periods had more active activity in the N2 stage in their brain. And this higher activity level then incre- increases uh, in- interconnections between the neurons in the brain as well. And it suggests that because there's more study, there has to be more consolidation, hence the higher level of activity, or at least that's my interpretation of it. The third and final stage of non-REM sleep, N3, is the deepest. And it's we're going to spend some time in N3. It's the most challenging to wake up during the N3 stage. And I saw this really interesting uh, uh, marker that says that people in N3 find it difficult to wake up below 100 decibels. So what that says is that you know if you're one of those people that can sleep through a storm or you know loud noises or all that kind of thing, then it's a good chance that it was occurring during your N3 sleep or stage. Now, if you do wake up in the during the N3 stage, there is a good chance you'll experience something called sleep inertia. Sleep inertia is essentially a period of brain fog after waking up. Gosh, how many people describe that? Is that one? Of, is that something you experience as a listener? Do you wake up feeling unrefreshed? By def- definition, sleep inertia is precisely as it sounds. It's characterized by reduced vigilance, increased sleepiness, and impaired performance. Cognitive studies have shown that people who wake up during this stage of sleep will have moderately impaired mental performance for 30 minutes to an hour. 
So this negative effect on cognition is an excellent example of how our knowledge of sleep stages can inform us about our health. I have a large cohort of patients who often confirm waking unrefreshed and feel concerned by this. And what, you know, it can actually come down to the fact that you were in the wrong stage of sleep at the time that you woke up. And this can actually come down to going to bed too late and not sleeping enough. And I'm going to touch on that in a little bit, so stay tuned. So the results from a comparison between waking during N2 sleep and N3 sleep and performance confirmed this. So people who woke from the type of slow wave sleep seen in M3 showed a 41% reduction in performance compared to before their nap. So in contrast, people waking from N2 showed similar performance levels to those already awake. Now this is a big one. These changes and this study is another reason why napping beyond 30 minutes is not recommended. I'm just going to repeat that. If you nap, then do not go over 30 minutes because there's a good chance you'll drop into that N3 sleep and the benefits you might get from that nap will be reversed. And in fact, you'll most likely feel worse. So it doesn't end there though for N3 as it's the stage of sleep where your hormones are most active. For example, Growth hormone, which regulates your metabolism, is associated explicitly with N3 sleep. Why is growth hormone release during sleep significant? Well, amongst other things, sleep-related increases in growth hormone relate directly to insulin sensitivity and blood glucose levels. Both affect the quality of your sleep, energy, and brain health the following day. Stage 3 non-REM sleep also plays a role in regulating thyroid-stimulating hormone and some interesting evidence regarding how this combines with insulin in diabetes may go to show more connections between this and getting adequate sleep. So aside from these hormonal changes, the body also conducts its repair and regrowth of tissues, builds bone and muscle, and strengthens the immune system. So let's just go over that a little bit here. So repair and regrowth of tissues is important, obviously. But what about building bone for people with osteoporosis? Or what about building muscle for people who are exercising a lot? And also strengthens the immune system as well. So this N3 stage of sleep, really big, huh? Not only this, but deep sleep also promotes deep cleaning within the brain. Now, this deep cleaning is managed by all managed by the glymphatic system, the brain's version of a waste clearance system. So we've touched on the different parts of the N3 stage of sleep. But one of the other main functions gaining attention is this deep cleaning that allows the brain to throw out the trash, essentially, but also supply the brain with essential resources such as glucose. Once you've traveled through these three stages, you then enter into REM sleep. So you spend about a quarter of the night in REM sleep, and this stage is often associated with dreaming, where N3 is also associated with night terrors and nightmares. So if you're having, I guess, somewhat positive dreams, then REM sleep is where you're at. Now, this, the brain is highly active in the REM stage. and By definition, it's not actually considered a restful stage of sleep. We can see this in the brain via EEG with the brain waves during REM sleep similar to the ones we have when we are awake. The REM sleep stage is also the stage when people most often wake up spontaneously. Now, 
you'll go through four to five of these cycles every night. Now, each cycle lasts around 90 to 110 minutes. Interestingly, as the night progresses, your REM sleep increases and your non-REM sleep decreases. So individuals with depression, as a side note, have different levels of REM sleep compared to their healthy controls, which speaks to the importance of adequately managing the various stages of sleep in mental health. And obviously, people with mental health actually have trouble sleeping, so it can compound the problem. So oftentimes, focusing on this in order to help is a really big part of a successful treatment. Now, this importance is one of the key reasons, at least by my interpretation, that the hours before midnight are worth double. I don't know where that came from. Is that an old wives' tale? I don't know where I pulled that quote from, but it's been with me for a long time. But let's actually do the maths on that, shall we? So if we spend most of our time in non-REM sleep stage two, it's best to consider it a gateway to the all-important N3 stage. Let's say that ideally we want to get five cycles worth of N3 sleep throughout the night and the minimum length of time for each cycle is 90 minutes. So then the total amount of time to get five cycles at 90 minutes, so five rounds of that N3 sleep with the growth hormone to help you lose weight, is seven and a half hours. So presuming that we get around 80% efficiency when it comes to how much we sleep in contrast to how long we're in bed, it's easy to see why eight to nine hours in bed is the gold standard. Now, my interpretation is that the more cycles one can travel through throughout the night, the better chance there is to strengthen the immune system, reinforce muscle and bone, and consolidate learning and memory. On that basis, we've seen in this episode that knowing about your sleep cycles helps you to become more specific about how long you're sleeping, but why it's also so essential for your day. If you're one of those people that really values focus and attention and being present and sharp at work, for example, or whatever you're doing, and you're not sleeping for longer than seven or eight hours, then maybe that's the first thing you want to consider because your brain really needs it, but also the ripple effects are really, really big. And hopefully this episode has gone some way to explaining that for you. As always, before we finish this free and inspired radio episode, if you would love to hear more from me and get the word on new articles, podcast episodes, and more, jump over to the website philipwatkins.health and join our community via the newsletter or sign up on the homepage for your free ebook about probiotics and the brain. Your reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify help me get the word on the street. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, throw the video a like and subscribe to see when each new podcast is uploaded. As always, I want to send shouts to the show listeners who get this far. This show is about helping you to find the freedom to feel inspired again. And I hope this gets you one step closer. Until next week, don't forget to take care of yourself and those around you. And thank you for joining another episode of Free and Inspired Radio. We'll be back with more next week. Stay tuned. Oh my gosh, you made it to the end. This show is all about you, and we hope you finished this episode feeling one step closer to feeling free and inspired. We'll be back next week, but if you want to know more about Philip, please catch a digital flight to www.philipwatkins.health 
for further details about how we might be able to help. In the meantime, have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, and we'll see you for another episode next week.